This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Friday morning break with me, Poppy Gibson. Uh, morning, Tom, I can see is already listening in, and welcome to everyone who's listening live. Um, if you're listening live, it's the 12th of January, which I cannot accept that we're already into double digits in January, but I hope the New Year's treating you well. Uh, whenever you're listening, I hope that 2024 is being a positive, happy, kind one to you so far. And it's very apt, actually, that our guest today is someone who's here to talk to us a bit more about our planet, our environment, education, and kind of the basics that we need to continue. We have many more years um, on top of 2024. So our guest will be joining us shortly. Uh, in the meantime, just some housekeeping for anyone listening live. Good morning, David, I can see uh, one of our super fans who's listening in. If you do have any questions for Dr. Elsa while our show is on today, you can type if you're listening live on the Podbean app um, just by using the little chat um, function. Or if you're listening back, then unfortunately you can't, but Elsa will let us know at the end of the show some ways that you can get in touch um, with her if you do wish to carry on some of these important conversations. Thank you, David, who sent me, I hope that's a cup of chai latte on this Friday. Uh, definitely feeling like I need some more spices in my life this week. It's certainly been a bit of a grey one here in London. Um, how has your week been though? Do feel free to tell me about your week in the chat. Hopefully it's been a good one. I'm sure we're all grateful that it's Friday. Um, and like I say, the weekend is just hours away. <laughs> uh, we'll also be asking Elsa about what her weekend plans are and plans for 2024. I don't know if you're someone who set yourself some New Year's resolutions. Um, I put a video on my socials this week about how perhaps we shouldn't question whether it's a new year, new me, but how we can be perhaps a new year, better me. What are some small habits, some small behaviors that we can adapt to have a more positive 2024 rather than trying to think we need to change? Because I'm sure you know, a leopard can't really change its spots. So how instead can we find a more happy and healthy way of living? Um, Elsa will be joining us shortly and welcome to everyone who is listening in live. If you're listening on the website, um, unfortunately we can't take any questions from you there, but you can get involved on our Twitter threads as Teacher Talk Radio will be posting through the morning um, and we can engage with you on there. Um, Elsa, unfortunately I can't invite you as a speaker just yet. You may want to leave the link and jump back in to join us and we can um, hopefully then invite you as our guest speaker. Elsa's a very interesting guest. I'm very pleased she's here to talk to us today because we'll be hearing about what led her to her current role and her interest in supporting our education and the way that we can support that in our schools as well and outside of our schools. Um, I wonder whether geography, for example, was something that you enjoyed when you were at school. That's one facet we see of environmental sustainability education it's coincidentally my middle child Gris came home from school yesterday saying he now knows about a new job he wants to do and he wants to be a geographer um I'm not sure if that is a word I have to ask Elsa about that when she joins us lately um 
is a geographer a career he then told me he would basically like a job where he could travel um around the world seeing lots of different countries so maybe there is something i told him maybe that's called backpacking <laughs> um but if any of you are um into geography do also let us know in the chat and we can let Elsa know about your experiences. Um, just communicating with Elsa now to let her know that unfortunately um, we can't quite add her just yet. We know we always like to have some remnants in the system on a Friday just to scare me. Uh, <laughs> just to make me panic on a Friday morning. It's such, such a treat to worry about whether my guests uh, can join. But I'm sure that Dr Elsa will be joining shortly. Um, David is saying in the chat that he loved geography just not good for the exams yeah i'm sure many of our listeners agree as you david the exams uh, are not always the highlight of learning this thing i love about teaching primary education is we don't have exams on our degrees it's all about the coursework the learning and then of course your teaching placements if our students do go on to be um a teacher and morning i can see emma has just joined us in the chat as well so good morning emma um, hope your week's going well. We are going to be joined by Dr. Elsa Lee later today. He'll be talking to us about environmental sustainability education. That sounds like a, a lot on a Friday. Um, but I'm sure that we will be all learning lots and lots this morning about that topic. In the meantime, while we're thinking about geography, um, Where's the favourite place that you've been? I know some of you, if you follow me on socials, will have seen I've just booked tickets to go to Saudi Arabia. I'll be taking my family to Saudi Arabia to to book um, after the Easter break. So I'll be there a chance to deliver some CPD in a school and thought what better um, thing to do than take my three children along for the ride. So a chance for them to have a real cultural experience or something very different to what they experience here in England um but where have your favorite places been that you have traveled um hi Elsa I see you're typing in the chat unfortunately it's not letting me add you as a speaker just yet but if you try logging out and logging back in or sometimes if you delete Podbean um and reinstall but we will wait very patiently for you in the meantime but unfortunately um it's not enabling you to be a speaker at the moment. Um, right, and so on to the next question. We, we can just enjoy having a chat this morning while we wait hopefully for Elsa to log out and log back in. Um, we think about our favorite places we've been. And I wonder also, where are the places on your bucket list where you would love to go? So for me, number one is Japan. I would absolutely love, love, love to go and visit Japan. I'm not really worried about where, although Tokyo is high on the list, but I just think the Japanese culture looks incredible and fascinating. And that's certainly up there in the kind of five-year traveling plan to get to go to Japan. Um, I wonder, what about you? Do you feel free to tell me about the places that you would love to visit um, using the chat function? Um, I can see Elsa, you have rejoined us in the studio. Uh, however, it's still not allowing me to let you join. I'm not sure if you've verified your email um, from when you set up your Podbean account, but if you check your emails, it might be that you just need to verify. Um, 
But what I'll do in the meantime, Elsa, I will just send you an invitation to be a speaker to your email. Uh, but sometimes I know if we don't have, um, unfortunately, if we don't have the emails verified, it's a little bit annoying. It doesn't always um, let people join as speakers. But as I say, don't worry, we're very mindful here on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, and just while I'm typing Elsa this email and sending her the link, um, do feel free to join me in the chat with any comments on places you've been or places you would love to go. I was trying to think, what were my other top three? So number one, Japan. Um, number two, I'm not sure. I've got as far as number one, but I'm not. I'm not very. Uh, I don't have very good attention spans. I got as far as number one, but um, the other one probably India. Um, and really excited. I know some of you who follow me on socials will know that I'm taking um, four students to Calcutta or Cal, as my friend from Mumbai told me. Uh, we can call it. Uh, in a friendly way we're taking them to Calcutta in July super excited so India was the other place on the bucket list um so really excited to hopefully tick that off in July we've got some people telling us their favorite places in the chat um Elsa unfortunately it's still not letting you join um at the moment I can see that you're here in the studio but it's just not letting me um invite you as a speaker uh, just inviting you now but as I say don't worry we will we will get there eventually I've just followed you back Elsa on Podbean I don't know if that will help um, we've got some people we've got David saying I don't know whether that's places you've been David or places you'd like to go um, to Canada, St John's Rocky Mountains wow Canada actually is on my bucket list I haven't been to Canada but certainly looks incredible and I do love maple syrup. Maple syrup with bacon and pancakes is the, the best breakfast for me. So I would actually love to go get maple syrup at the source, which I'm pretty sure is from Canada. <laughs> but now I'm showing my weakness is, uh, is geography. Um, let me see if we can just invite our guests now. Elsa, I'm just inviting you again. And hopefully... Um, we will have you joining very, very soon. Um, bear with me, everyone. I know you're always very patient with us on a Friday while we try and sort out our little technical gremlins. Um, if you've got any questions for Elsa, just while we're, we're waiting for, for Elsa to join, do feel free to type them in the chat. Um, and just to let you know, we've got lots of other guests coming up on my show in the next few weeks. Um, I've got a teacher, Jared, who'll be joining us from Texas, actually, on my next show. Jared was a teacher here in the UK and now teaches in Texas. He'll be joining us 5 a.m. USA time. That's the, the kind of dedicated guest we have on Teachers Talk Radio. Um, he'll be joining us 5 a.m. to talk about what it he's kind of noticed working ah and Elsa's here amazing Elsa you're here I'm going to come to you in five seconds um Jared will be talking to us about kind of international differences between teaching in the UK and the USA so stay tuned for that that'll be on my next show in the future but without further ado Dr Elsa Lee is in the studio Elsa can you hear me 
wonderful. Um, and Elsa, we can hear you as well. That's fantastic. Um, so Dr. Elsa is here to talk to us about environmental sustainability education. I hope I've said that right. Um, Elsa, how's your week been so far? Thanks. It's been nice to be. I had a really nice break over the Christmas and New Year break. So I celebrate. I'm going to enjoy. And uh, so uh, it's just be getting back into work, getting back to the routine. Thank you for being so patient with me. I think I hadn't enabled the microphone. Oh, yeah, Elsa, I'm not sure if you've got any um, headphones that you can connect. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Elsa, I was just saying, I'm not sure if you've got any headphones, um, if you're able to connect any headphones to your phone. It might make you slightly louder. Um, if you have got any headphones, we can hear you, but just very, very quietly. Um, oh, David has just told me that Quebec produces 70% of the world's maple syrup. Oh, good to know. <laughs> I mean, I don't need that. I don't need that much. I don't need 70% of the world's maple syrup. David is, but you might think I have got a very sweet tooth. I'm happy with one bottle. Um, but certainly I'll, I'll have to look that up. Um, Elsa. Can you hear us okay now? I can hear you very clearly, so I'm just trying to find the headphones. Oh, perfect. Just looking for headphones. That's great. No problem. The good news is we um we can hear you, but just very quietly. So please take time to find some headphones. No rush. Uh, we've got you here. That's the main thing. We will happily sit back and relax and wait for you. Um. Welcome as well. Edward's just joined. Uh, Simon has joined. We've got lots of people listening in. Anna is listening live. Um, so welcome to everyone that is listening in. We're just waiting to speak with Dr. Elsa Lee today, a very experienced, very wise educator who astounds me with all the amazing things that they are always doing. Uh, and I'm very excited. Just going to be able to check. Can you hear me at all? Um, yeah, I can hear you, Elsa very quiet um anyone listening on the chat can you hear Elsa well I don't know whether it's actually just me whether it's my head <laughs> um but Elsa we can't we can hear you it just seems a little bit quiet on my end um having trouble with being able to improve that to change don't worry no worry no and then we can work it out afterwards maybe no problems da- yeah David's just confirmed that it is a little bit faint um, your end, Elsa. I don't know if your headphones have connected okay. I don't know if you've got a pair you could plug in maybe, but don't don't worry, no rush at all. Um, the bike what just happened? Oh, it's still just a little bit quiet, Elsa. Oh, I hear rustling. I I'm manifesting <laughs> positive audio. I definitely hear rustling. I'm hoping that's some good rustling. Any now? Still rather quiet this end, Elsa. I think if you have um ones you can plug in, or even if you have Bluetooth ones, they might work as long as they have a microphone. The issue I'm having is that none of the ones I have have actually got a microphone. I didn't consider that. 
Oh, don't worry. Um, it might be Elsa. If we have an issue with audio, it could be we can rearrange our show. So please don't worry. Um, if you can't find headphones now, I can happily lend you some. We can rearrange. So please don't stir. I have headphones in my office, but not in my Oh, don't worry, don't worry. I know it's the great thing about usually using laptops is we're just so used to having the microphones built in, which is a blessing, isn't it? But don't worry, if you're, if you're not able to find any, we can easily rearrange. We can see this as the, the trailer. Good. So it's just not, yeah, because I've, what I've got are not going to help. Oh, please don't, please don't worry. Um, don't worry, Elsa, if you don't have any, unfortunately, it has to be joining through your phone. That's the only slightly irritating thing um, about our show is it is phone only. Um, but what we could do, Elsa, maybe we'll just, we'll finish this show um, shortly and I'll get in touch with you. We can arrange another date. Would that be okay? It is okay to do that, but uh, yeah, if there's no other solution, we can do that. Um, I'm trying to think uh, what other headphones, or do you have any, even if you have any that you normally plug in like to your laptop that might be able to attach to your phone device? I'm currently using a, a massive pair, a gaming pair of my son's, so they don't have to be just a normal headphone, any headphone that would connect to your your phone i have the headphones but i don't have the microphone they don't oh i see they just don't have a microphone oh david's just said it's clearer they right i'm using david as my assistant david you're like my teaching assistant david can you hear elsa enough that we could continue i'm gonna wait for david <laughs> david to feed back in the chat i should say something to see if he could he said should be okay. Okay, Elsa, if you're happy, let's let's go with it. I think as long as people can hear you, crank up your volume. <laughs> I can hear you enough to to communicate, Elsa. So hopefully we can carry on with the show. Um, so without further ado, then welcome everyone. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. We're here on the Friday morning break with me, Poppy Gibson, and my guest, Dr. Elsa Lee. Good morning, Elsa. Good morning. We'll try again. <laughs> Perfect. So Elsa, let's begin then. Um, please tell us all about you, all about your journey from the start of your career up to where you are now, please. Okay, so I um, uh, started out as a teacher in around about 90, well, yeah, 98 was when I did my PGC. So I started out doing an undergraduate science degree, um, which I did at Edinburgh. Um, so it was in the Scottish system. And then I went to the English system and I did a PGCE at King's College in London. Um, and that then led me into teaching science in secondary schools. And I was a secondary school science teacher for eight years um, in the UK and also in Mexico City. Um, and then I, uh, at that point, I really, I really loved teaching. It's obviously, it has... You know, it's a re it, it it provides you with lots of challenge, but it's also very joyful, and you feel like you can make a you know you can make a difference in people's lives. So I really did enjoy it, um. But I did feel like after eight years that I wanted to consider how I could, 
you know, I, I was sort of got to a point where I felt like I needed a little bit of a change in my career. And initially, I didn't think of leaving teaching. I thought I was going to come back into teaching, but I just wanted to spend a bit of time studying um, and see what that brought me. Um, part of that was because I was really interested in environmental sustainability education issues. And I felt that the curriculum that I was using at the time wasn't really allowing me to do what I wanted, or at least I didn't know how to use that curriculum uh, and the policy that went with it in a way that would enable me to do what I wanted with it. I've always been interested in environmental issues, um, you know, from my childhood. So I want that, and that was why I wanted to be a science teacher. And I heard you mention geography teachers earlier. Of course, geography teachers are very important in this. But science also has a lot to offer. And then, and we'll talk in a bit about all the other opportunities there are. But yeah, so that was my motivation for going back uh, to study. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I went and I did a, a master's at Bath University. And that master's um, was quite ahead of its time, I guess. It was in 2007. Um, and I did a master's in environmental education. That was the title of the master's. Um, and I worked there with a number of people like uh, Bill Scott and Stephen Goff and uh, uh, Paul there. These were all people that were there at the time when I was there. Are you still hearing me, Poppy? Yes, yes, I can hear you. I'm just enjoying hearing your journey. <laughs> I can hear you. <laughs> and in that master's, uh, we looked at things like what was the impact of children learning um, about environmental issues like recycling in schools? How did that affect their um the, their their home life so did they take those messages home so that was an early kind of idea that we were looking at um and then uh after that i thought I, while i was doing it i initially thought well this will be really useful and i'll go back into the classroom after this but then um i really enjoyed studying um and i really loved the opportunity to think and analyze and focus on a particular issue and i felt like i was doing something you know, that was at that time really not, not many people were doing and I felt like it was really important. So it seemed like an amazing opportunity when it, that when I was, um, you know, when I, uh, when it became clear that I was be able to apply for some funding for a PhD um, and I just, that I, so I just grabbed that opportunity with both hands and feet and uh, dived into it. And uh, so then I got, got funding and I did my PhD at Bath. It took about four years because I, um, you know, also had a family during that time. Um, uh, so yeah, it was, an, and that was the kind of beginning of my current phase of my journey, I guess, you know, that you had, the, I had my teaching career and I did about 10 years altogether of teaching and then <laughs> I did you know, five to six years of studying, including the masters and the PhD. And, um, and then I, you know, that, that's where it led me into working in the in research field. My goodness, it's quite a journey. <laughs> it's quite a journey and a, a lot of, you know, interests and passions and for anyone listening who, who knows Elsa in real life, Elsa is just like, I love Elsa's energy, just like up for anything, hence coming on teachers to a great journey. <laughs> Amazing, amazing. Where, uh, and so your your current role. What does your kind of current day to day look like? I well, I, after I finished my PhD, I got a job at the University of Cambridge doing research, and I did sort of ten years of research, different types of research projects um, with children and with young adults, 
Um, and then I, and I will talk about one of those projects in a bit because I think it will be really interesting for people listening. But, Amazing. Uh, yeah. And the, but then I got a job at, I was lucky enough to get a job at Anglia Ruskin University, um, teaching on the primary education studies degree, which, um, you know, I absolutely love doing. Um, and so the, it, I, you'll probably have picked up that I taught in a secondary school, but I did my research in primary schools. So, um, the reason I feel confident in my experiences, you know, is uh, to teach on a primary education studies degree is because I spent lots of time talking to teachers when I was doing my own degree, my, my own um, you know, uh, postdoctoral or doctoral degree. And then my postdoctorate work uh, was also with, um, you know, with primary teachers quite often. So I feel, and yeah, so it's, I feel really, really lucky to have had that experience across the secondary and the primary sector. Yeah, really insightful, it must be. Fantastic. And now up into higher education. And, um, in, and you know, company, you and I work together in that space, don't we? On questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Amazing. Wow. So quite a journey. So for everyone listening, <laughs> I'm sure you've got lots of questions. So do feel free to type them in the chat if you're listening live. Um, Amazing. So lots of incredible things that, that you've done there. And I can see how they've kind of been some of those threads um, working through what you've been interested in. Um, I guess then that, that leads me to the next question. So Elsa, if you're happy, just for the next kind of half an hour, I've just got a whole list of questions to ask you. <laughs> um, the first one then to pick up on, and I think this is a really interesting question as, as someone who's had their foot in in so many or I might say your finger in so many pies educational pies um if we talk a bit about curriculum so um I know at the moment Elsa you lead one of the modules that I teach on which is all about it's a really interesting one and any of my students listening <laughs> you probably I know you started the module not enjoying it but I think by the end of it everyone agreed didn't they Elsa that they've learned so much because we look at when the first national curriculum was put in schools in 1988 up until today and how things have changed different policy initiatives um thinking about the current national curriculum we have in our schools um so the next question i've got for you elsa really what do you think is the relationship from your point of view between curriculum and society so that's a, that's a, a really um, um, an, an important question, and it is one that we, as you say, we start to explore it in those modules. And I think many other primary education modules will do similar um, discussions. And um, I think in that particular module that we teach, we talk about the relationship with politics. But I think kind of broader question, as you've just pointed out, is that relationship between curriculum and society. So why is it that politicians you know, are so interested in um, education and curriculum. Why is it so important? And you can imagine, um, you know, you can think about that from different points of view, of course. And this is a really classic question in educational studies, you know, the question of does education create society or does it reflect it? Um, and I think it's very difficult to come to a definitive answer, isn't it? Because I don't know how, what do you, how you feel about that particular question yourself I I think you're right and I think part of the problem is it doesn't always reflect the needs of our society 
Um, and I think obviously at the moment, a, a big thing we've got crashing into education, you know, for the last couple of years is artificial intelligence. And when you see how some educators are embracing AI and building it into their provision, and then some are totally terrified and banning AI and, <laughs> you know, telling students don't use AI. And I think just like with anything new in education, you know, we can, we can be scared, but if society is using one thing, I think we're doing our learners a disservice if we don't embrace it. What, what's your view on the old AI, Elsa? <laughs> uh, it's, it's really key that we, yeah, I mean, there are so many ways in which we can use AI. And my feeling is that if we don't sort of, uh, uh, you know, work out how we're going to use AI, then AI is going to end up using us. That makes sense. And I think, you know, that's the important thing. And, and I completely agree that it, you know, we do need to incorporate it into how we, um, it, and policy about how to use it in school. Mm -hmm. And in that way, you know, children will be moving into society and so they, they need to be able to have had an experience of it. And this is one of the things about how society changes all the time. Mm -hmm. Onto that, and so curriculum which is ten years old is is definitely going to be at a point where, you know, it's definitely a point where we need to start thinking about um changing it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and I think it's hard, isn't it? Because I've I've met so many educators that say, you know, this has been working well for ten years. Why do I need to change it? But the the answer for me would be because our world is changing. <laughs> like our learners are changing. Their needs are changing. The way they engage with content is changing. So surely as a response, you know, we as educators and our, our curriculum provision needs to change, right? Absolutely. And I, and I find that I totally have sympathy and, you know, for people that do strictly, you know, who have been to the and they feel like it's working and why does it reach to it? I do feel sympathy for that. And I think when I was teaching, I probably felt really, you know, more like that than I <laughs> you know um but at the same time it's really exciting you know that opportunity to generate new content think about the questions you've been exploring for 50 years. <laughs> i know that i'm saying that it's very idealistic <laughs> yeah definitely no re really good points and you know so sometimes we're reluctant because we know what we're teaching is good and sometimes it I think actually it's not always about changing the content, is it? But changing the delivery as well. So in that way, the curriculum needs to respond to society in, in the way we deliver it. Absolutely. A positive AI has a huge, you know, it's like some Exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where AI takes us over the next five, ten years. We might, our jobs might not even exist in a few years, Elsa. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's hope so. <laughs> Unless we get a nice redundancy package. <laughs> um, okay, amazing. Right, on to, on to my next question then. Um, so I'm aware time always goes so, so quick on Teachers Talk Radio. So this leads quite nicely into my next quest question then. I wanted to ask you, um, how do you think the way that this is interpreted influences policy? So when you think about the relationship between society and curriculum, and if the society is changing, but also sort of that is often reflected in political 
um, in the political parties and the and the um, elections that take place and then the gov the governings the, the parties that end up governing with their own specific you know goals and aims and ideologies um so that that of course that does have an impact so if 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 a kind of um if a government wants to have both reflect what is going on in society but also in some ways help to create society by having its kind of policy that enables that to happen and um, then you know then obviously it has a big impact on curriculum policy um, and that is really interesting in many ways about our current curriculum um, uh -huh. because our current curriculum actually in many ways does pull back and <laughs> um, so there's there is a, there's a lot of challenge and the, and the depth of the of the of the curriculum not trying to minimize the sense that that is a lot of children there's a previous types of grammar previous uh but one of the things that you've mentioned about ai being sick another thing many of you will be aware of is Environmental sustainability is not explicit in many places. So that's one of the I think, ways I would tell it. One of the things I wanted to talk about today uh -huh. was in 2010 when, well, in, you know, there's lots of interesting things. Change of stuff, but there was a curriculum in place, but then and that curriculum did did reference some environmental issues to some degree. And then in 2013, that was uh, changed, and you know, some of the students of the science, as you know, um, but for the explicit nature, I mean, was minimized. <laughs> so, so that, that's one of the things I'd like to finish that week. Great. Great, great, and and I think I totally agree with everything that that you're saying. And I I do think politicians take education very seriously. You know, we only have to look at when election time is coming, and they have their you know education manifestos at the front of their agenda. But then if we question those people that are sitting in the cabinet, you know, what did their own primary education look like? What did their childhood and upbringing look like and for the most part i would say some of those politicians might be detached from what we are having to do in our mainstream classrooms right is it a long time since <laughs> yes it's really good there's that that current in your mind is good and often that for many of those politicians they're experienced this is, this is, mm -hmm. so so many good points i feel like we need we need like a trilogy of shows with you outside <laughs> but let but let's zoom in on a bit of this then you know i totally agree society's changing um so my next question what does this mean for schools who want to teach ese and maybe as well can you please just remind us kind of what ese stands for for people that are just joining and, and kind of what this looks like ESC stands for Environmental Sustainability Education. It's one term. You can talk about environmental education, climate change education, education for sustainability. I use environmental sustainability education. Um, and so what it, what what this kind of slimmer curriculum 
from 2013 and 14, which is kind of its goal, um, it means it is that uh, slimmer, but also, you know, heightened in terms of its challenge. This has said about that, um, you know, that way it was designed to be kind of adaptable, I think. So you have to meet it, of course, if you, you know, that kind of the way that's updated. Um, but it is um, actually really interesting to adapt to when there is you know, space. So although it, although it's not obvious to teachers, I guess, with curriculum, how to do that, and, or if they can do that, I I feel that there's space that we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, do you think most schools are doing this well? There are some schools that are doing an amazing job of it, but then I think other schools, you know, we have, I think we were, you know, thinking about, you know, the sort of 24,000 just <laughs> amongst that, there will be lots of good practice of the skills. And for some of those students, they'll have more or less freedom to respond. Yeah. And that does take a large part on whether they are academy choices or whatever it has on their class. So there's that variation. But I think many schools um, who would like to be able to do this not because of the lack of support in policy, that curriculum policy, but also, you know, all of the other kind of things that are. And it's hard as well when you think, you know, we've got schools like you mentioned, these academy trusts that have the better funding and provision, but the catchment isn't always open to all. And part of it is a postcode lottery, isn't it, on which school you end up at (laughs) and how well this is going to be covered. Um, And and within that, another another, uh, little consider there is, you know, where where the schools feel uh, about the purpose of education, right? I think Morgan Phillips talked about that. Oh, did you listen in to Morgan's episode? Wonderful. <laughs> so Morgan talked about this in the session in, in December and how important he thought of his thesis to consider the purpose of education in these questions. But those subsports, you know, might feel that this isn't there, that the aim of education, they may, or teaching might feel like really the purpose of education is able children to learn. Um, you know, and to learn the important knowledge that is present in the curriculum um, and has been, you know, seen as being important for a very long time. So um, they might feel that it's not. Mm-hmm. So a response to that is that, or, you know, a novel psyche, they, um, and, and many of the children, you know, obviously, I would totally agree that schools are. Um, and not, it shouldn't be about changing behavior from my experience. But we take the relation to it. But it is, as we've said, and I kind of don't even beg to go to, and I'll make many of them, but it's good to be something going to encounter in the people. Say, not about these issues, you know, like the impoverishing their opportunity, um, 
there are very important reasons to do it, whilst I also have some sympathy for the difficulty of doing that and the kind of reasons why people might feel. Yeah, no, it does, it does. And um, I agree, it's, it's really it's really difficult. And I think it's a problem much bigger than the teacher themselves, isn't it? Because we know people go into teaching because, you know, they're good people. Like, <laughs> you're not going in it for the money or the fame. Um, you're going in it because you want to make a difference. And it's really hard when, like you say, our, our learning should be centered around the individual. But, but how realistic is that? And and when when and if that individual you know this the shoot is going to um and you know that becomes more you know, it's better more more and so it's become something where it used to be about avoiding it because we felt like we should be burdening children with with the responsibility to be this because without it they're not you know there's there's real and it's just like haven't been exposed to ideas and being tools to learn how much you care about well being. As in the children who get it quite. amazing and, and I think you're right it's so important that we are finding you know projects like this where we're showing children the bigger picture but equally I'll sit down with my children and watch you know a, a kind of program about our planet about earth on a Sunday night with my children and you see animals habitats being destroyed and and I end up feeling anxious like what you know and also powerless and I think it's really hard isn't it when we've got children with their own anxiety to consider this kind of as you say eco grief and eco anxiety on top but also we need them to understand these things because otherwise how you know they won't want to be part of the solution hey i mean you know if they don't understand them, how will they then themselves deal with that, that be really really paralyzed inside but as you went to what to touch it young children, you know, they already have daily happiness. But 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 when 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 but that as I'd say, 
I think Morgan and there are opportunities to be able to solve sort of things. They don't have enough risk to clean it up, but this issue of anxiety. Men, there are so many people, one of the ways that there are so many people work, adults work. So, no, definitely. I, I totally agree with you. Um, sorry, Elsa, just someone saying there's a little bit of interference on the line. So I'll just mute when, when I'm not talking to you. Um, yeah, re so many, it's really hard, isn't it? I, I think, especially with children, to be treading that line between wanting them to, to know the truth, but also wanting to protect them, isn't it now? We very like to try to depend for teachers, but we put it through a lot of helping teachers to understand that they, or, or helping teachers to know all of the resources that are available to support them, I think is really important. And I see that as part of my, my goal, you know, to try and find ways to enable teachers to access the kind of resources that are available and the kind of training. I think there's been some really interesting surveys that have shown that teachers want to do this, but they don't feel capacitated. They don't feel like they're training prepared for that. You know, and I think that is changing, right? I think training is really shifting towards considering these issues and finding ways to support. But um, yeah, so I think yeah, let, let's hope so. I hope you're right. Change is coming. And, and I wonder if, I've, I'm reflecting on what you're saying, I wonder if part of the issue, particularly here in England, is that we are almost at this place of geographical privilege. Like, I was, so I was saying at the start of the show, Elsa, I'm taking my children to to book in Saudi Arabia um, in, after the Easter break. I'm, I'm going to, there to visit a school. And I was looking on Google Maps with my children, and obviously to books in the middle of the desert. <laughs> so there's like nothing there apart from this school compound. And um, we were look, we were looking these really strange circles. It looked almost like an like alien crop circles on on Google Maps. And I messaged uh, my contact and said, "What are those circles all over the compound?" And they said, "Oh, they're irriga irrigation circles, so we can actually try and grow some, you know." live crops out there and they, each one's got like a sprinkler going round on its own little kind of circle axis and and it was like wow like we're just so used here we can just go to the supermarket and buy anything and it's imported from everywhere and and I can see West who's just joined us listening in has said he's got tornadoes right now um over in USA so I think in a way we have been able to protect our children from some of those geographical and climate worries what do you think it's a very interesting point and um, and perhaps in some ways, well, this is maybe, I'm, I'm not sure this is controversial, but just turning that on its head, one might argue that because they've been protected from that, in that through that sort of geopolitical location, then perhaps when suddenly it becomes clear, it's almost more of a worry because if you've grown up, you know, with those issues already part of your daily experience, perhaps you naturally learn you know, how to respond and, and, and what naturally, but, but, you know, it's part of your daily experience to know that you need to be responding to these problems. Um, you know, that perhaps that makes a difference, you know, to how much you then worry about. Because if you, if you have never experienced it and you haven't learned how to respond to it, 
then the concern levels you can imagine are are heightened. Whereas if you have if you're constantly having to respond, then perhaps the concern levels are uh, you feel a bit more empowered because you know how to respond. And I think that's one of the key ways in which schools can help children is for them really to understand that there are ways to respond. Right. And and just want to say there isn't to minimize you know the, the severity of the experience of someone living in the middle of the desert at all. But I'm just talking about this one specific issue, you know, around um around the concern that result from suddenly being exposed to this, you know, existential question which you might have been protected. Thank you, Elsa. No, that that's that's so true. And I think that's why, like you say, it's so important that through our teacher training provision, through our primary education studies degrees, we are bringing these things to the forefront for our students who might have gone through primary and secondary not having these things on their radar. And now we can actually start to, you know, educate them more about the environment and, and the way that they can be prepared to go and teach the next generation. Um, so maybe like the, the eco capabilities project that, um, that you've been working on. So that project is a really nice, nice hunt particularly be applied to secondary schools as well. But, the, but uh, it's particularly useful for people who are interested in primary school education. So that project was led by uh, Nicola Walsh initially at Yamaska, but it's now um, at UCL where Nicola has moved to. And I worked with her to come up you know, to put the project together and then to, I was part of the research team. And what we did in that project was really try to uh, focus in, in areas of high deprivation. So working with schools where access to nature was limited um, already and sort of perhaps the you know, um, so that was a kind of element of what we were doing was thinking about how can we help um, to uh, to help schools who are in these areas in more, more deprived areas uh, uh, to kind of see the see that the, the, the kind of affordances of their own spaces to enable children to access uh, the natural world and then and similarly also with the arts. So one of the ways that we can help children to process these notions of eco-anxiety is to um, you know, support them uh, to access different forms of art. Obviously, I talk about art, I read mean, dance and music, um, performance, those sorts of different types. Uh, there's, there is some evidence to suggest that people who um, Experience socioeconomically is is deprived in whatever way. Um, don't have the same levels of access to the arts. So what we uh, were trying to understand here was what happens with when we connect the art and the natural world together. How does that um, enable children to develop um, and, uh, and, and think about these different these different issues that we've been talking about, but also just to develop more broad and what capabilities that brought and so the Eco Capability Project um, is one that was exploring those connections and was um, successful in kind of identifying a range of different ways in which children can benefit from doing art in the outdoors, particularly in relation to their well-being. Um, and I wanted to help. I want to highlight of that project now because the project is finished, but one of its outputs has been um, some teacher training uh, courses. 
And I think I'm right in saying that these are freely available but via um, University College London UCL's uh, website, and you can just do a little search to find them, uh, and you may maybe benefit from that uh, the training programs if you're interested in this work and want to develop further. Thank you so much, Alison. That that eco capabilities project sounds amazing. But again, this kind of links us back to what we were saying with the first questions to you around does curricula reflect society? Because we can see even my oldest child is in year eight. So he's he's gonna turn thirteen this year, Elsie is a teenager, but he loves drama, music, art, graphic design, like but still, aren't we seeing these things marginalized? So your project, even in itself, shows that we can deliver these things well, deliver these messages through arts and humanities and you know expressive arts, but still, particularly in the primary school, we're seeing them so marginalized. It's a big problem, but, um, you know, which is partly to do with the questions of curriculum and what the curriculum affords the opportunities for people to do. But one of the things that we, uh, uh, that another bit of work that it was done doing was on this thing called the Track Changes curriculum, which was to look at the curriculum that we have and to see, well, how can we make this curriculum work for environmental education, for uh, the arts? You know, and so uh, that curriculum uh, is actually also freely available and has been used by lots of different teachers to sort of support them to think about how they can take what they are mandated to do and still do it, do it. Uh, in a slightly different way. And you were mentioning about the way that we go about doing these things. And that, part, that curriculum is there. It is adaptable. And it was originally designed to be adaptable. So as long as you're doing what it says within, you know, within your plan, uh, there are ways of doing what it says that use the arts, use the outdoors. Um, so I think there really are opportunities, but it, it's, it's easy for me to say, I know how difficult it is when you're in the classroom to make that happen which is why I wanted to highlight that track changes curriculum, which is available, uh, freely available, again, online from the Teacher Future uh, you know, organization's website. Thank you, Alison. That's so helpful for that signposting as well. And I think you're right. I think change is coming. And I think that's the thing that I know you and I instill in, in our you know students, that although teachers will always be bound by curriculum, what you do have is your own power and influence as an educator in the way you deliver. Well, again, depending where you work, you might have a bit more freedom than others, but exactly, it's how you deliver it. It's how you share that message. It's the extracurricular things you can offer and, and the way you can raise awareness in your own way. And I think that's what makes us all stay teachers, isn't it? Because despite everything else, despite the lack of funding, <laughs> all the paperwork, we can make a difference and that, and that's kind of the main thing teachers need to remember isn't it and i did want to also say about you know please um of course because it's very easy you know to talk about primary but um you know preschool as well but the whole movement the forest school movement you know which i know many of you will have already heard about i'm sure everybody's heard about it that's what i think that maybe they have to be but the forest school movement is another indicator of change and there's so much that can be used from that you know even if you're not a forest practitioner but being able to use that as a way to encourage you to think differently about how you do your education the spaces that you do your education in so sometimes it, especially for younger children it's really about just 
um, opportunities to be in those spaces and then thinking about how to develop, um, you know, your curriculum again, what you need to do, but in a different space. That space is another way of thinking about how do we use what we have and what we have to do. Um, is maybe it's just about taking it outside. Mm -hmm. Oh, it really does. Yeah, I'm, I remember when I was a private school teacher and we always had to do reading on an afternoon and in the summer I'd go, let's read our books outside. And it was just the best, <laughs> the best moment. We'd all, you know, skip out and find a shady tree. It's amazing how something so simple as moving space can make a difference. Oh my gosh, Elsa, we're at the end of the show. So can I please ask if anyone wants to continue these conversations with you and ask more about how they can deliver ESE in their schools or, or maybe some inspiration for finding that different approach what's the best way that they can come and kind of find you please we mostly on LinkedIn uh, and this one finally my email address so my the resources I did amazing Elsa thank you so much I did warn you it'd go quickly today <laughs> time flies when we're having fun but Elsa I've put your email address into the Podbean chat if anyone's listening live elsa.lee at aru.ac.uk Elsa can I just say a huge thank you for coming on the radio this morning um, and I wish you a wonderful weekend. Um, are you doing anything nice, Elsa? Uh, uh, it's all gone out of my head. <laughs> Just go and have a nice cup of tea. <laughs> well, I hope you have a lovely weekend. Hopefully no snow, although they keep saying it's going to snow. So we shall see. But Elsa, thank you so much. Do take care. Enjoy the weekend. And wishing you all the best for an amazing 2024. And to everyone who's joined us today, thank you to um, our frequent listeners. We've got West here today, uh, David. Welcome, Martha, who's been listening in. Sam, uh, we've got Emma, Anna, everyone that's listening in and people listening on the radio. Thank you for joining us. Um, I'm sure we're all feeling very inspired after listening to Dr. Elsa's wise words. Wishing you all the best for the weekend. I'll be back soon with my next show. We'll be talking to um, Jared about what it's like to be a teacher in Texas. Um, so any questions for him, do let me know in advance of the show. But wishing you all the very best. Take care. West, stay safe with those tornadoes. I uh, hope the dogs are all okay. And just everyone, please be kind to yourself be back with you very very soon um take care you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio <laughs> Even for the very first.